Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. This episode is being recorded live from the NRF Shop.org Digital Summit on Wednesday, September 29th, 2016. As usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Well, Jason, it's a little bit bittersweet on this podcast. We've been uh, doing a bit of a marathon session. I think this is probably our eighth or ninth. I've kind of lost track podcast here from the show floor, and it's our last one. So the bitter, sorry it's at an end, but the sweet is always good to go back home after you've been on the road. So uh, it's been been a lot of fun. Appreciate uh, you being the audio engineer and hauling all this stuff all around creation to, to set us up. It, it's been fun to get to spend some quality time in person, Scott. Yeah, we never never see each other. We, we're usually doing this remote. Um, so for this last podcast, we're going to keep it pretty short. And what we're going to do is we, we've been here three three plus days now just absorbing and talking to literally hundreds of, of retailers. Uh, Jason's been on the keynote stage kind of doing that whole thing. Uh, so we really want to kind of just wrap the digital summit and talk about what we've been hearing, what retailers are talking about, kind of what's the buzz and uh, what, what we've been hearing out there. Um, so first I want to start, uh, you, you hosted a keynote with Shinola today, uh, the watch manufacturer. Uh, I wasn't able to, to make it to that. So I want to hear how that went and kind of what some of the takeaways from that one were. Yeah. Uh, so there was a keynote this morning with the president of Shinola. Uh, and for those that aren't familiar, Shinola is a brand that's really focused on sort of celebrating Detroit, um, so the, they have a mission to create jobs in the U.S., um, and they're, they're really like leveraging Detroit as the sort of anchor of, of their brand. And so they actually have a few different kinds of products. They, they sell Shinola watches, which are Swiss movements that are assembled in Detroit. So they, they brought over a Swiss watchmaker and trained several hundred employees in uh, assembling these watches. Uh, that they they sell successfully throughout the U.S. but but assembled in Detroit, they have these uh, v- uh, cool vintage bicycles that that are assembled in Detroit. They sell a lot of leather goods, which the original heritage of the brand was uh, leather polish. So okay, so that that sort of makes sense. And they are a perfect example of what we've talked about several times on the show: uh, digitally native, vertically integrated brands. So they they make their own products. They have about twenty retail stores that they sell direct. Of course, their their largest distribution channel is selling direct online. Um, and I, I I guess the one debatable point is. They're a very analog brand, and so it's like the digital native part you may be in some dispute, um, but they actually have a very solid digital block and tackling, and it sounds like they're getting ready to, to launch some, some newer digital stuff. Cool. Do they uh, the my favorite topic of Amazon come up at all? Do they do they sell on Amazon or, or they did wholesale or uh, so they, they don't. You sell didn't on, ask my favorite question. Uh, well, so. <laughs> I, I was thinking it. Uh, okay. They for sure do not sell on Amazon. They don't sell through any third-party uh, channels. The thing that was interesting uh, for them is they, they, knowing that it was a digital audience, they sort of shared some of their, their tactics and learnings uh, from building their own audience on digital. And so one of the, the, the 
test that they showed is they were really curious about the value of buying their exact match brand terms on Google. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, uh, so they, they literally, you know, did a test that a number of retailers have tried. I think eBay has famously tried at one point where they. So this is the brand term sh- Shinola. Shinola, yeah, exactly. I imagine. Yep. So they, they uh, <laughs> were making a meaningful investment in it. They turned it off, um, and they, they showed their Google Analytics, um, and you, you can actually see that like when uh, paid search on that term like dropped to zero, or organic search uh, exactly rose to the previous level and so their strong conclusion from that test was uh at least in our particular case we don't need to be investing in those exact match brand terms so they to this day don't don't buy those terms and they've reinvested those dollars in in other uh product-based terms interesting wow yeah uh so a little bad news for google there yeah i may have mentioned that it was probably a good time to short the google stock and he pointed out that uh, magically uh, Google finds some other way to get the money. Yeah, yeah, they they just kind of allocate the budget to long tail terms, I imagine, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, th- so that was uh, interesting. The they're doing some interesting things. They're opening a hotel. Hmm. Okay. So just kind of leveraging the Shinola brand, um, and you know, try their b- big fundamental challenge that he didn't really have an answer to is. The stores are very experiential. You walk in and there's a, a specific leather smell to the stores and they have uh, uh, gourmet coffee bars in all the stores. So they serve coffee and, and you know, they really trigger all of your senses in this like brand immersion experience. And how do you recreate that online? Like, you know, candidly, you know, just between us and our 60,000 listeners, I would say like they, they don't, right? Like it yeah. feels like a very traditional catalog site. Until we have smell-o-vision or some kind of smell-emitting device on our laptops or we, our phones. We did discuss a potential scratch-and-sniff screen could be the, the partial okay. solution. Cool. Well, good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so after that, what else uh, have you heard that's interesting here at the show? Yep. Well, so I didn't get to attend it, but one of the other keynotes was from Google, and they made an interesting announcement about the the next iteration of one of their... their uh, Sort of innovation projects, which they call uh, Project Tango. Yeah, and that's uh, we love to talk about augmented reality and virtual reality here on the show, and that's a uh, that's an AR kind of a solution through a phone. Um, um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it's actually even blending a couple of things. It, it definitely has a strong AR component. It also has some geolocation components. So the the original uh, iteration of Project Tango actually piloted in some Walgreens stores, and it it involved devices that Walgreens put on shopping carts, and they essentially uh, geolocated the shopping cart so they knew exactly what aisle the shopping cart was on, and then the the shop the device had a camera and a video screen with augmented reality. So so you got a view of the aisle you were on on your shopping cart that was then augmented with with additional product information and offers. Okay. Um, so that was, went live, I, I think, like maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, and it may not still be live. And so at this show, they announced that they uh, a new iteration of Project Tango that ran on a consumer's phone as opposed to a dedicated device in the store. Um, and it has some cool new features Um for visualization of like custom kitchens and cabinetry and furniture in rooms, uh, the novel new feature is it uses a three D modeling from the phone to measure the room and give you a very accurate representation of your room and 
and if a, a sofa you're considering buying would actually fit in that room. Okay. Um, so I've seen some demos before. It's very cool. You could definitely see the value add to the consumer. The wrinkle at the moment is most of our phones don't have the ability to accurately measure distances. And, and we think we talked a little bit about this on our, our iPhone 7 episode. Um, so one, the one phone that does have this stereoscopic camera right now is a Lenovo phone. And so at the moment, this Project Tango pilot is limited to folks carrying that, that specific Lenovo phone. Wow. Which is a pretty narrow market. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is cool to start to see bigger companies kind of do these things where we've seen some of these startups and, and kind of vendor-y kind of things now to see Google kind of looking at that intersection of AR, VR, and, and retail is pretty exciting. Uh, another area that I know you get excited about is personalization. Um, there seems to be uh, a lot of vendors here that are, are kind of focused on that. Um, uh, we're, we're just kind of paint a picture for you guys listening. We're, we're in smack in the middle of the exhibit floor here. Uh, and we can see two vendors that focus on uh, apparel fitting. So we, we should probably talk about that. Uh, but then there's a whole startup area of... Uh, what's the name of that? It's called, I can't see it, uh, but there's like more of a retail, a launch pad. Yeah, it's called launch pad. Uh, and I walked through there and half the vendors were personalization and the other half were AI uh, or artificial intelligence. Um, what do you think about those kind of technologies and where they are right now? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time in that space. So there had been some pretty well-known personalization vendors in our space for a long time. And I, I would have said like their, their products are pretty mature, right? And they, they tend to be around like primarily product recommendations right yep. so so you know hey we'll fill in these product tiles on your category pages and product detail pages um, with using some artificial intelligence to to recommend products that your customers are likely to buy um, there uh, are a lot of tools that that sort of started life as a b testing tools and have evolved to become sort of personalization engines. So, you know, uh, letting you know your audience a little better, maybe bringing in some third-party data from Blue Kai or others to, like, know the demographics of your visitor and then personalize the, the site based on those, those demographics. And a lot of those vendors have been in this space for 10 years, and they're on their, you know, fifth or sixth iteration of products. And so what's been interesting this year at the show is there are dozens of new vendors um, – coming into that space and they all have you know some unique value proposition but they're all pretty narrow solutions like this vendor has a really novel approach for customizing emails on open um you know so that's that's a big deal like you know you don't necessarily want to customize the email based on when you send it because a user might take several days to open it and yeah the 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 best personalization trigger might might have changed in those several days. And at open, you know if they're on a phone versus a desktop, or you know a lot more about them at open. Exactly, um, and there are a bunch of vendors that have specific personalization for category pages or banner ads or attributes on a product detail page. And you look at a bunch of those and you think, you know, these seem like good mousetraps. These are thing, you know, best practices that a retailer might want to follow. But the the caveat is. Do you really want to build your overall user experience by Frankensteining together 16 of these different point solutions? And so you have your your e-commerce engine personalizing some of the experience and your CMS uh, personalizing some of the experience and your ESP personalizing others. You're, you're creating all these little silos of personalization and the underlying data. Um, and it, it becomes very unruly and, and uh, sort of unmanageable. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's that's going to be a challenge for some of these vendors to to overcome that that hurdle. 
Yeah, and um, on uh, we, we heard this when you were talking to some other folks. You're more of a proponent of, um, uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but give give people a set of APIs, kind of a cloud based service framework for personalization, and then let them kind of bake it in. Let the retailer kind of pull that down and bake it in across kind of more of a horizontal approach versus kind of a, a vertical solution approach. Yeah, if, if you were doing no personalization, the um, but you had a really big email list and you were you were doing a lot of email, um, there there probably was a high ROI for like investing in a point solution to make your your email more personalized. Yep. And if you had no product recommendations, there's probably an ROI around uh, implementing some some solid product recommendation feature. But like, there's diminishing returns for. Um, buying a specific tool to change each of these touch points. So once you have those real basics in place, I, I really think it makes more sense to solve personalization as a system yeah. um, as opposed to a bunch when you, of When you go with the multiple tool solution, they're not going to learn from each other, right? So it, the email... If they are, it's, it's going to be very hard to plumb them all together. Yeah, yeah. The, the email personalization is not going to learn from the product recommendation and, and et cetera. And also, yeah. Cool. And then what do you think about, um, you know, so last year at the show, big data and kind of how do you consume big data was really big. Um, the problem with, with kind of the phrase big data is it's just like a, it's a, it's like electricity. It's, it's not a solution. It's just a thing, right? Um, so now it seems like a lot of the, the buzz is around these AI companies where they're taking machine learning. Uh, I think that's more of what they're doing. I don't, I'm not sure if I would call it AI. Uh, they're taking some of the machine learning things that have come out there and, and applying it to some of these similar kind of personalization problems and whatnot. Um, is that something retailers should be thinking about or is that kind of science fiction at this point? No, no, no. I definitely think it's interesting. I, uh, it is uh, right on the verge of being one of these shiny objects. Like, there's certainly, I, I would argue, the majority of retailers that have deployed a customer facing cognitive computing solution today are largely doing it for the, the PR value. Um, and, you know, that that's not a bad strategy. And, and North Face famously has a, a Watson experience. Yeah. And oh, by the way, IBM put the the CEO of, of North Face like in a national television campaign, which certainly certainly benefited North Face. Um, but I'm not uh, sure that those product recommendations are dramatically better than the the product discovery tools that North Face had before Watson. Um, but when you look at the demos um, of what's becoming possible, and when you really feed richer data sets to these engines. Um, I, I am definitely convinced that they add real value and have the ability to, to reduce friction in the shopping experience. Yeah, and I get the application of machine learning to things like driverless cars and um, you know uh, healthcare issues, diagnosing a healthcare problem. What what's a use case in retail where you think machine learning can can move the needle? Yep. So uh, a couple uh, inventory planning um, is is a really interesting one. Is Taking data from sales in store and sales from online browsing behavior um, to make smarter decisions about what styles and sizes should be carried in what depths in each of your retail stores. Yeah. Um, so th- those decisions today are largely made by humans that that follow some some guidelines that have been ha- handed down from generation to generation, and there's often some urban legend that data was behind the original methodologies, <laughs> but probably wasn't. Um, and those are, that's an area where it's really expensive to make mistakes. Um, and so if the computers can help 
uh, a retailer decide what depth of what products to carry in each store. That makes a lot of sense. One one that was particularly interesting to me is uh, a lot of retailers, because of uh, loss prevention or traffic monitoring, now have a lot of video and still photography image uh, is of all their stores. So say you're a retailer that has a 1,000 stores and say you're, you have a video camera facing the front door of the store that you use as a people counter. One of the interesting things you can now do with that is say, hey, what style of apparel do shoppers that walk into my store favor? Like, what, how are they dressed when they come into the store? What colors do they favor? What, what sizes are they? Um, there's, there's potentially some, some cool versus creepy issues with some of that, but there's a, a super rich data set yeah. uh, to help those apparel retailers uh, realize what, what styles and sizes they should be selling. Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Cool. And then uh, I know you have to shoot to a meeting, so we'll kind of wrap this up with the last topic. The, uh, we spent a lot of time on the podcast kind of thinking three to five years out about the future of commerce. There's a lot more vendors here uh, that are doing AR, VR things. I haven't seen any drone vendors. I've been looking for them. I don't think they're, they're, uh, that we've gotten to the point where those folks are exhibiting yet. Um, well, let's talk about this fashion stuff. That you know, What do you think about these systems that, that kind of you know, help with the, the problem of you know, everyone has a different body type and size and the apparel and how is it going to fit me and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on and I think they're solving a, a high value problem. Um, so, you know, returns in e-commerce, e-commerce is, is hard to be profitable in general. And we've talked about that, the, you know, the economics are challenging and returns can really be the, the difference between being profitable and unprofitable. And in the online apparel space, returns have been particularly high. Um, and it's, it's sort of a twofold problem. People buy stuff that legitimately doesn't work for them, and they, they have to return it. But also, in the early days of online apparel, we taught customers that the way to shop for apparel online, since you, you can't go to a fitting room ahead of time, is, oh, don't worry, just buy it in multiple sizes and send back what you don't need. Um, and, you know, the Zappos's of the world were like, that. that's the only way to instill confidence in users to buy shoes online. Mm-hmm. So now, good job, we've educated customers that that's what you do. <laughs> and uh, I imagine returns have gone up. Yeah, and so selling shoes and selling apparel, the return rate is much higher than consumer electronics, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it literally can be 20 or 30% for some retailers, which is hugely expensive. Yeah. Um, so now we're all shifting to say, how do we help the consumer get the right product the first time, right? And part of that answer is machine learning. If you're a regular Zappos customer and you always are buying the 10 and a half and the 11 shoes and you're always returning the 10 and a half, we can now message you on that product detail page. Like based on your previous history, this shoe is going to fit you better than that shoe. Right. Um, and so we're, we're starting to see some retailers, in, including Zappos, leverage that tactic. But the, the challenge is, of course, for apparel and shoes, fitment is very inconsistent. So just because you are a 10 and a half in the Adidas Stan Smiths doesn't mean that you're going to like the 10 and a half in the Nike. And so a, a couple of companies have addressed this problem by saying, Hey, let's use data to answer that question. What if we go into our warehouse and we 3D scan all of the shoes? And so now we know what the volume is of that Nike versus that Adidas shoe. We know how high the arch is. And if you tell us that that Adidas 10 and a half 
is the most comfortable shoe you own, the best fitting shoe, I can tell you what the analogous size is in the Nike shoe um, based on real data. And so in, this isn't a hypothetical example. There was a company out there called Shoe Fitter, and spelled cleverly F-I-T-R, um, and that's exactly what they did. And I think Zappos was an early partner, and they got access to the whole Zappos inventory, so they are able to scan a ton of shoes. Um, and they were a great solution until they were bought by a company you may have heard of called Amazon. Ah, yeah. So they're now <laughs> that solution is no longer available to most of the market. Yeah. Um, and so you, you could imagine that, that there are, are shoe retailers that would like a solution like that. Um, and then we're, we're sitting across from a booth called TrueFit, which solves very similar problem predominantly for jeans. And I think they would say they focus on all apparel, but I think the category they started in that they're best known for is women's jeans. So if you know the seven for all mankind, uh, uh, a particular cut in that jean is most flattering on you, they'll tell you... What the what the equivalent Calvin now, do Klein? Do they scan would be. your body, or they're just using kind of the the product data, not the, the so personal? Tr- so TrueFit in particular uses the the database of SKUs to okay. tell you other other makes of apparel that are likely to fit similar to apparel that you've already tried. Yeah, uh, but you you've touched on the other half of this fitment problem, which is coming, which is hey, is there a way to scan me? Um, and know what's going to fit, right? Yeah. So, so some of the older technologies that are out there, uh, there, there are some interesting companies that are, are installing booths in malls, and they actually use the same backscatter technology that they use at airports uh, for security. Oh, really? And so it turns out that um, you know those things go right through your skin, <laughs> and so they can see the guns under your clothes and all those sorts of things. If you use those devices with less power... The, the rays go through clothes but bounce off of skin. So that lets you go stand in a booth in a mall and they can measure your hyper accurately measure your body dimensions right through your clothes. And so, so I always thought this was a pretty clever model. I think we probably creeped out half the audience though. I'm not sure. Yeah. I see people get really agitated when they go through that TSA thing. I can't imagine that they would volunteer for this. So, so, I don't know. so that is like going to be one of, the one, challenges. one of the challenges. So, A, this is not a cheap piece of hardware. So, you, yeah. so like, you can't put it in every store. So their premise was, hey, we put one in a mall. A subset of customers will be willing to stand in this thing, get measured. And the value prop is I will then print you out a list of the best-fitting apparel that's available in the mall that you're standing in. Mm-hmm. And they were essentially a, an affiliate, so they they provided this service for free and carried the cost of the hardware. And then they hoped to make enough money on on those referral fees by sending people into the gap to buy particular jeans. So... Uh, for customers that really that used it and got like great fitting clothes, that seemed like a good model. And then, of course, the smart digital component is now that they know your size, they upload that to their website, and now you, after you get home from that mall, you can go shopping online, and they'll point you at a bunch of apparel that that fits you perfectly. Got it. Um, so that limited appeal because. A, it's awkward to get fitted in public, even wearing your clothes. You feel like sort of a hamster in the the tube. And to your point, the the backscatter machine is scary. So the next iteration of that is, well, can't we just use the supercomputer in our pocket to take our measurements, right? And so there are a bunch of made-to-order companies that now, like, you know, do novel things with, like, hey, put your phone against a wall, stand eight feet away, and we'll take pictures of you and we'll... uh, with some reference object, and then we'll we'll ascertain your size based on these pictures and make you a bespoke suit. Um, and the very best versions of this you, use 
the stereoscopic cameras to measure you very accurately. So Intel in particular has a 3D camera that they build into all the Intel-branded laptops. And so Zappos and some others are using that technology to let you scan yourself in the privacy of your own home, standing in front of your your, uh, laptop. And then in their use case... You can actually upload that data to Zappos. Zappos will give will make a 3D avatar of you, and not only will they recommend the size that fits you best, they'll show you wearing that clothes as that that garment would actually fit you. Wow, cool! Yeah, and then you can imagine an AR VR that 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 would be a great part of that experience to make it seem more real versus like 2D avatars Absol- kind of splat. Yeah, and w- once you get just a little bit more horsepower, like once you've done that once. Now you go to the store and you pull out your phone and just, you know, as you, you wave your phone at any of the apparel, it recognizes that apparel, it applies it to your avatar, and using augmented reality, you're seeing yourself as the mannequin for every every garment in that store. Cool. Any other future stuff that uh, you saw here at the show that you want to share? Um, so in the future stuff, obviously a lot of folks are talking about chat commerce. We've talked a lot about that. Um, the... Uh, I, I, I hesitate to even call this future, but the other dialogue that, that seems like more folks are having this year is about like truly addressing some of the the attribution problems. And we've, we've been talking about these for a long time, but this feels like a year when when retailers are actually starting to invest some dollars in trying to solve attribution. Yeah, I feel like the attribution problems, we talked about this with Milton um, uh, if that one hasn't been published when you listen to this, it's coming soon. Uh, and, you know, in the when I first started in e-commerce, attribution was all kind of last click versus this, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and now it's multi-device and then it's like online and offline. So, so if anything, it's become an eight-headed beast versus kind of a one-headed beast. Yeah, it's it, at least a three-headed beast, right? Like yeah. you've got the online versus offline. You have multi-touch. You saw an ad on Facebook, and then you bought something off a of Google PLA. Yep. Um, how do you you give credit to both of those those ad units? And then the multi-device. You browse for something on a phone, and you bought it on your laptop. And yep. so, so when Razorfish clients come to you to solve that the attribution problem, how do you, how do you guys solve this? Yep. Um, so uh, two phases to that: the data phase, like how yeah. how do you collect the data? And we we are big advocates of aggregating all your data and creating what we call a universal ID and a bunch of ways to get there. That could be a digital fingerprint. That could be a a repository of cookies on these different devices. But using whatever attributes you have about um, your your shoppers and their behaviors aggregated in a a data warehouse, we actually have a, a framework for that that we call Cosmos. But like, you know, it's basically a methodology uh, for aggregating all that data, number one. And then the second thing is, once you have all that data and you can see multiple touch points or multiple devices, how much credit, like, what's the right model for deciding how much credit to give to each device, right? And so, you know, the the default model we've all used is last click. The last touch gets 100%. Um, There are lots of alternative models, linear, uh, every touch gets equal credit or time decay, the, the last click is most valuable or least valuable, um, and, and positional, certain points in the shopping decision are different. So it turns out that the best way to do it is to apply your data against all of those models and have those models compete with each other to see one, which one fits accurately your profitability the best. And so you can actually use machine learning to have these 
different attribution models compete against each other to create a bespoke model that fits your particular business and user base the best. Cool. Interesting. So then that model would spit out, you know, here's how to do it, and then you'd use that going forward. Yeah, and so it's, it's really interesting that, like, it's, it's, it requires the eggheads that are much better at math than I am, but the, the deal breaker that makes it not work right now is it, it doesn't matter how accurate the model is. The, it, most retailers that have one of these systems in place, it got bought, bought by one department, and it's believed in by a small set of stakeholders, right? So then you, you walk into the big marketing meeting, and you tell the CFO, we want to dramatically change how we're investing in our marketing based on this attribution model. And the, the CFO didn't sit in on any of the, the, the sales meetings or the test meetings for that attribution model. So they're not buying it, right? Right. So it... it as with all of these things, it comes down to organizational change management. Um, if, if the whole management team agrees on a, on a multi-touch attribution model, behavior will change. But, but that it can't just be championed by a single stakeholder within an organization. Cool. Got it. Well, I know you have to shoot to a meeting. so Yeah. Uh, really appreciate the listeners sticking with us through, through these updates. It's been great live casting from the show. Really enjoyed meeting some of the listeners. And so until next time, we'll wish you a happy podcasting. Yeah, thanks to all our listeners for uh, joining us here online and offline. And really want to thank all the guests that we had here while we are at Summit. We were able to get a lot of uh, a lot of great material on tape, and we will be putting it out there as soon as possible. And you know we don't really use tape, right, Scott? I know. I like to say it. It's like a radio thing. Cool. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.